I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. In one of my previous churches, one Sunday I said, I want to see a show of hands of all of you who have read all 29 chapters of the book of Acts. Most of the hands went up. Then I said, next Sunday I'm going to preach on lying because there are only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. <coughs> now that was sneaky, I'll admit. But actually there is a 29th chapter in the book of Acts. It's a chapter being written by you and me right now as God works out his purposes for us. And it could be entitled the Acts of the Disciples. And the power for that 29th chapter is exactly the same power that motivated and empowered the 28 chapters. And that is the Holy Spirit. And for the next 10 weeks, we're going to focus on the book of Acts. And even though the title of the book is Acts of the Apostles, the star of the story is not one of the apostles. The real star is the Holy Spirit who empowered and guided them all. Our scriptural lessons for today come from Acts chapter 1 and from chapter 16 of John's Gospel. First, verses 6 through 9 of Acts. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. <clears throat> so when they, the disciples, met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And now verses 5 through 15 of chapter 16 of John's gospel. Jesus said, But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, Where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is, not for, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. 
This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. A few years ago in the great Rose Bowl parade in Pasadena, California, a problem developed. One of the floats stalled. And that caused a crisis because none of the other floats can move. And that was a big problem because the event was being televised all over the world. Well, immediately a small army of mechanics descended upon this stalled float. And they examined it from front to rear. Could not find the problem. Finally, somebody had the presence of mind to check on the fuel level of the vehicle pulling that float. Sure enough, it was empty. And that was particularly embarrassing because the float was sponsored by one of the major oil companies of America. You know, Christians can run out of gas too. It can, we can, as they say, hit the wall. Uh, the struggles of this life can take a toll on us. Uh, grief, illnesses, temptations, trouble. And unless we are receiving fresh resources on a regular basis, we will be in trouble. We have such a source, thank the Lord, available 24-7 and inexhaustible. Herb Miller writes this, What fuel is to a car, the Holy Spirit is to the believer. He is our spiritual fuel, end of quote. The Holy Spirit is our invisible helper. He's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is given to every person who sincerely repents of his sin and trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And if we invite the Holy Spirit to fill us anew each day, he will be for us the greatest power on earth. And my purpose today is to help us know and love and open ourselves further to the Holy Spirit. A little boy asked his father one time, Daddy, is... is What's the Holy Spirit like? Is he like a cloud floating around? Is he like a ghost? What's the Holy Spirit like? And the father whispered a quick prayer for inspiration. And he said, son, have you ever felt God close to you? And the little boy nodded, yes. And the father said, that was the Holy Spirit touching your heart. Now, it's a tragic truth that many churches and Christians are impotent because... The Holy Spirit is absent. Uh, one day a British preacher was training his confirmation class, 6th and 7th graders, and he was teaching them to memorize the Apostles' Creed. And the way he did that was he assigned to each of them a sentence from the Creed to memorize it, and then when they got together, each student would recite his, particular, his or her particular sentence. The, for example, the first one was to repeat I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And the second one was to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, and so forth. Each student 
had a sentence to repeat. So one day when the class met, it was time for the recitation. So they started, each student repeating the sentence he or she had memorized. And everything went great until suddenly there was a silence. And the pastor looked up to see what the problem was. And one of the students said, Pastor, the boy who believes in the Holy Spirit is absent today. What a commentary that is on the churches, many churches, many Christians, the absence of the Holy Spirit. What can cause the Holy Spirit to depart from a church? Several things. If a church denies or distorts Holy Scripture, the Holy Spirit will leave. If a church tries to justify sin, whitewash it, rather than calling people to repent for it, the Holy Spirit will depart. That happened to old King Saul in the Old Testament. He disobeyed God, and the Holy Spirit departed from him, and his life ended in tragedy. If a, if a pastor depends on his eloquence or education or entertainment skills more than on the power of the Spirit-filled Scripture, people may applaud, but God will not, and the Holy Spirit will depart. Now, surely you've noticed by now that every Sunday before I preach, I offer the same brief prayer. It's simply a the kids out in Memphis called it Mr. Bill's Fire Prayer. Uh, it's simply a plea for God to take my limited offerings and supercharge them with the power of His Holy Spirit. You know, when the Holy Spirit is invited, He always shows up. I've never found it to fail. And let me tell you, if I ever step into this pulpit and discover the Holy Spirit is missing... I'm going to flee out that door so fast there's no usher here quick enough to catch me. The preacher is less than 1% of preaching. And the Holy Spirit is more than 99%. The late, great Billy Graham said this, I have had the privilege of preaching the gospel on every continent. And I have found that when I present the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, quoting from the very word of God, the Holy Spirit takes the message and drives it supernaturally into the human heart. End of quote. The Holy Spirit was showered on the infant church just 50 days after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. On the day of Pentecost, about 120 followers of Jesus, that was, no, that was the size of the church at the beginning, 120. They were gathered in a big room behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jews. And then came Pentecost. It was an electrifying, life-transforming experience that those disciples would talk about for the rest of their lives. Suddenly the house was filled with a violent wind, like a hurricane. And in the Greek language, the word, the word for spirit and wind is the same, pneuma, pneuma. That mighty wind of the Spirit blew away all of their uncertainty and fear. And they seemed to inhale boldness and confidence. Thanks to the Holy Spirit, the wimps became warriors. 
Our scripture lessons for today are all about the Holy Spirit, and I want to set the scene for you for the passage from John's Gospel. Jesus and the disciples are meeting in an upper room in Jerusalem, and Jesus is delivering his farewell address, and the disciples are terribly sad because Jesus has told them that he would be leaving them soon. And then in verse 7, Jesus said, It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, while Jesus was physically here on earth, he was under the limitations of time and space. He could be only in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit is under no such restrictions. He can be in a million places at any given time. And when Jesus said, I will be with you always, how would that happen? He knew that the Holy Spirit would make Christ real anywhere, anytime. In our scripture lessons for today, Jesus taught us three vital truths about the Holy Spirit that I want to plant on your heart today. First, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt. Verse 9 tells us, When He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit convinces people of the fact of sin, the fault of sin, the folly of sin, the filth of sin. You could even call the Holy Spirit God's district attorney. He brings charges against sin wherever he finds it. You remember that the first commandment of the ten is, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, did you know that everybody has a God in their life? Because whatever comes first in your heart is your God. And if your God is not God Almighty revealed in Jesus Christ, it'll be something. Something will be in first place, and that is a false God. Now, a false God can be something good, like family, or hobby, or your vocation, or even your church. But when that thing is more important to you than God Almighty, it is a false God. And the Holy Spirit sets off alarm bells. For example, give you an example from Scripture. In the fifth chapter of Acts, we meet one of the most tragic couples in the whole Bible, Ananias and Sapphira. And we have reason to believe that this couple may have been among the 120 on the day of Pentecost. So they had been exposed. They were perhaps contemporaries of Jesus. They were exposed to the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And many of those early Christians who had possessions, owned houses, property, some of them were so inspired by Jesus and the Holy Spirit that they sold some of their possessions and brought the proceeds to the apostles to use to help the needy. And of course, the Christian community admired them for their generosity. Well, Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be admired. So they sold some of their property, but instead of bringing all the proceeds to the apostles, they brought a part of it, kept some of it for themselves, but they told the apostles that they had given them all of the proceeds. 
I don't know how St. Peter knew that they were lying to him, but he knew. And so he said, you have lied not to men, but to God. And suddenly Ananias and Sapphira fell down to the floor dead. Uh, false gods have a way of killing the very soul. I don't know if you have seen this advertisement on television that I saw recently. It has a salesman saying, and I quote, Having gold that I can feel and touch makes me feel protected. End of quote. Now, if that gold that he's talking about is his primary source of security, that's a false god. And I want to ask us, is there a false god in our lives competing for first place with the Lord Jesus Christ? God's DA, the Holy Spirit, not only indicts sin in our personal lives, like identifying false gods, but also the Holy Spirit indicts sin in our culture. And the Holy Spirit must be unhappy with the deeply polarized condition of America today. The fabric of national unity is threatened by voices of partisan hatred. And it's no less than hatred. That's exactly what it is. Uh, I remind us the, the mascot of the kingdom of God is not the elephant nor the donkey. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, since we're just uh, over a year before a national election, it is likely that the partisanship is going to get worse. Now, surely we Christians are not supposed to add fuel to the fire. We should model what it means to separate policies from persons. Now, here's an experiment I want you to try. I challenge us. I want you to pick out the politician whose policies you most despise. Now, that may be a hard choice. There may be four or five that compete for that spot. But I want you to pick out the one. I dare you to pray for him or her each day for the, for the next week. I believe if you do that, the Holy Spirit will help you separate that politician's policies from his or her person. I predict that at the end of the week, you will still despise the policies. But I believe that the Holy Spirit will give you a glimpse of that politician as a person made in God's image, one for whom Jesus died. And folks, if we can share that vision across America, that may be one of God's tasks for us during this intensely partisan year that is coming up. Another indictment by the Holy Spirit may be America's unhealthy obsession with race. Many of us thought that the original sin of slavery and later Jim Crow had been repented for and that we were emerging into the bright daylight of equality. But today there are some cultural leaders who are trying to introduce a new racism to us. And they claim the single most important thing about a person is his or her skin color. 
they, they divide America between the victims and the victimizers, depending on skin color. But the Holy Spirit says, wait a minute. The most important thing about a person is their relationship with Jesus Christ. Favoring one race over another is sin because it fractures God's family. The Holy Spirit reminds us of a song that we learned as little children. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. The Holy Spirit is our alarm system, setting off warning bells when the evil one is leading us, either individually or corporately, into sin. Here's the second truth about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Now, there are many Americans who believe that there's no such thing as absolute truth. They believe everybody has his own version of truth. Whatever, whatever works for you. Just come up with your own version because nobody's version of truth is better than somebody else's. But the Bible labels that attitude as a Satan-inspired lie. Jesus declared what truth was and is. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And our Lord in verse 14 of our text for today said that the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus as the source of truth and that He, Jesus, is the source of everything that the Holy Spirit will tell us. And God inspired a whole book, this one, whole book that is completely true and inerrant, the Holy Bible. And for over 2,000 years, all these experts, these so-called academic uh, uh, experts, have tried to find some fault, some failing in this book that would prove it false. They have been totally unsuccessful. And why? Because the Bible is saturated in and by the Holy Spirit. There have been numerous occasions when I have felt a nudge to read a particular book or attend a certain lecture or have lunch with a particular person. And then maybe a month, two months later, I need some significant information that I gleaned from that earlier contact. I don't think that was a coincidence. The longer I live, the fewer coincidences I believe exist. No, no, no. I think that was the Holy Spirit leading me into certain avenues of truth. The Bible and our secular culture do not agree about what is true. For example, there are many American leaders who say that you can be whatever gender you want to be, whatever you feel yourself would like to be. Uh, and... Uh, Certainly, we, we have nothing but compassion and love for young people who are experiencing gender confusion. But the Bible says God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. And God does not make mistakes. Eight years ago, the Supreme Court came out with a ruling that I believe was the first time in American history that the court had directly contradicted the Holy Bible. 
the high court redefined marriage, a word that's not even in the Constitution. They redefined it as the union of any two consenting adults. But the Bible has a different definition of marriage. In three different places in the Holy Bible, both Old and New Testament, the Bible says a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave unto his wife and the two will become one flesh. What God has defined, let not man redefine. Hollywood and the TV scriptwriters consider God's holy names to be nothing more than handy expletives that have enough shock value that they cause secular audiences to laugh nervously. But God commands, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, Satan has an army of salesmen out there selling lies, masquerading as truth. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit is God's lie detector. And just because somebody on television tells you that some parts of the book are outdated, no longer relevant, don't you believe that? The gospel of CNN or the gospel of The View or the gospel of Fox News may claim to speak the truth, but when they do, check it out with this book because this is the only source of absolute truth. And the Holy Spirit will assist you in that. Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Then here is the third truth that I want to plant on your heart. The Holy Spirit is our power source. The Holy Spirit is our power source. According to the book of Acts, Jesus' last words before he ascended to heaven were about the Holy Spirit. He told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit was given to them. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus was telling them that unless a Christian is spirit-filled, he or she is a puny disciple. So like a preacher without a Bible or a pharmacist without any drugs, or a carpenter without any tools. The Greek word for Holy Spirit is parakletos. Parakletos. It means literally battle partner. It comes from the context of the military. In the ancient world, the, the Greek armies went into battle in pairs. Every soldier had a battle partner, a parakletos, who would pick him up if he fell and would guard his backside. I love to think about the Holy Spirit as my Parakletos, my battle partner, the one who has my back. Now, when I preach about the Holy Spirit, I feel compelled to share a personal word because uh, the most important lesson that God has taught me in 50 years is about the Holy Spirit. And since I'm going to uh, share a personal testimony, I'm going to come down here and get a little bit closer to you. When I was in seminary, uh, I learned the theology behind the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I prayed to God the Father. 
I was saved by Jesus the Son. But I never learned in seminary that you could have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. I came out of that seminary 25 years old, was assigned to two churches on the north side of Columbia. And my goodness, I was full of vim and vigor. I was utterly dedicated. I, not only was I confident, I was overconfident. I believed I could do anything if you just give me enough time. And I went at it hard. I tried to be full-time both those churches. I did not know how to delegate, so I tried to do everybody's church work for them. I had a new wife, but I was gone most of the time. And when she, when she wanted to take a brief vacation, I thought that was a waste of time. But if she insisted, uh, I would try to schedule and plan each hour. Almost drove her up the wall. To give you uh, an example of how obsessive compulsive I was, back in those days, this would be the late 60s, we had one of those rare snowfalls in Columbia, about six inches of snow. I was thrilled, but not for normal reasons, to get out and play in it. No. I knew that most of my church families would have to be at home. In that one day, I think I made 26 pastoral calls. Now, you've got to be a card-carrying, obsessive-compulsive to do that. And sure enough, it began to catch up with me. For the first time in my life, I began to have trouble sleeping. I began to feel anxiety on a continuing basis. And I developed indigestion. So I went to our family doctor, dear old Dr. John Holler. I said, Dr. John, I've got an ulcer and I need you to fix it this week. Because I don't have time to fool with this thing. I'm a busy man. Dr. John put me through some medical tests and brought me back to his office. He said, son, you don't have an ulcer. I want you to tell me about your typical work schedule. I thought that was a waste of time, but I whipped out my little ministerial calendar book. And I walked him through about three weeks of that obsessive compulsive work schedule. And he said, uh, son... To put it to you in a layman's language, you're burning the candle at both ends. You're demanding more from your mind and body than they want to produce. And they are complaining. And then he said something that hurt my feelings. He said, you need to find a source bigger than you are. Whew, that chapped my cheeks right there. I mean, I, I didn't appreciate that at all. I, th I thought to myself, he got a lot of nerve preaching to a preacher. I don't see a theological degree on his wall. But as I drove home that day, I knew deep down I had heard the truth. About that time, we were assigned to a new church in Hartsville, South Carolina, St. Luke. And I had not been there long before I became aware that there were some young adults in that church who were on intimate terms with the Holy Spirit. But what surprised me was they were not weird. <laughs> you see, in my ignorance, I believed that if you were close to the Holy Spirit, you would sort of be a holy roller. You, you would shout out things at inappropriate times. You might even speak the unknown tongue in the middle of a worship service. But these people were the opposite. 
and my wife and I were in a Bible study group with them, so we really got to know them well, and we got to love each other. And when they had a chance to meet with me individually, they said, uh, Brother Bill, the Lord has called you to a task that's bigger than you are, bigger than your abilities. In fact, bigger than anybody's. But there's a source available, and he is the Holy Spirit, and he is inexhaustible, and he's available. All you have to do is ask. He is a gentleman. He likes to be invited. And then they taught me two verses that have been imprinted on my soul ever since. Ephesians 5.18, where St. Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. And I knew enough Greek to know that that verb, be filled, is in the present tense. So it does not refer to a one-time filling, but a continuing filling. And then they pointed me to Luke 11, verse 13, where Jesus said, If you then, evil as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Wow. There I had it from Jesus himself. That told me that, one, the most important gift that the Lord can give to a Christian is the Holy Spirit. And it was his guarantee that if I ask, I will receive. So right there, this was over 50 years ago, right there I made a new covenant with the Lord. I said, Lord, things are going to be different from now on. Uh, for one thing, to get control of my workaholic tendencies, I'm not going to work more than 55 hours a week for the church. And I'm going to be home at least three nights a week. I promise you. Second, I'm going to exercise regularly, take care of my body. Because the body and mind work together, you know. But I said, here's the big one, Lord. Here's the big one. Every day of my life, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to fill me to overflowing so that I will be able to fulfill the purpose He has for me that day. And I'll be back tomorrow for a fresh infilling, 24 hours at a time. And I said, Lord, if you don't come through, I am going to be a first-class flop. Well, that was over 50 years ago. And it wasn't but a few weeks after that that I began to notice something different. I began to notice that I was coming to the end of a typical day not feeling depleted, worn out, run over, but feeling fulfilled. And I became aware that I was plugged in to a source a whole lot bigger than I am. And I was aglow and thankful. And if anything of significance has happened in my ministry in the last 50 years, the credit belongs to the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to challenge you today to receive the Holy Spirit one day at a time. Uh, I want to invite you right now, whether you're with us online or in person, to extend your hands like this with palms turned upward. Close your eyes, and I'm going to invite you to pray in your own words 
just between you and God, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, today, for the next 24 hours, I ask you to fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I ask you to do the same any future day when I make the same request. And right now, as you pray in your own words, Melody is going to express that prayer in song. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come. 